How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 149 of X Lapsed. We are on the precipice of a milestone, the big 150th episode. And uh, today, to mark the occasion, we're going to wrap up our look at the recently concluded Juggernaut miniseries. Now, this is going to be Juggernaut Volume 3. They're calling it Volume 3, not number 5. It's at a March 2021 cover date. Story is called, I think, A New Beginning. Those are the only big words in the book, so I'm assuming that's the title, though it might just be how we end it. Uh, written by Fabian Nicieza, with art by Ron Garney. Colors Matt Miller, letters VCs Joe Sabino, edits Bisa White-Sapolsky, cover price $3.99. This one went on sale January 6th of 2021. Now this one opens with our normal purpley prosy intro, but this time it's maroon letters on white. Our comics content begins two days ago with our titular hero paying a telepathic visit to Krakoa, courtesy of his stepbrother, Charles. Now, he's there to talk about taking D-Cell in for safe haven, you know, keeping her safe. Uh, Xavier's a bit annoyed that Kane may have exposed this potential mutant child to danger, to which Juggs says it's kind of the other way around. They run into Kane's old running buddy, Black Tom Cassidy, who takes a break from Black Tomming, and they share a little nice little reunion here. Now, Tom assures Kane that he's doing the right thing in ensuring that this potentially mutant girl has a safe place to go if things go sideways. Xavier reveals that D-Cell's powers of deceleration are prohibiting any Krakoan telepaths nor Cerebro from getting into her head. I'm not sure quite how that works, but I suppose we'll allow it. Anyway, uh, Xavier says D-Cell is welcome, however, it has to be her decision. And so Kane will, is now tasked with uh, attempting to convince her, and he's not, um, he's not very confident. Now we shift scenes to the present, where Juggernaut and D-Cell, uh, they're outside of Tucumcari, ooh, easy for me to say, Tucumcari, New Mexico, preparing to break into the Dungeon Max Penitentiary. D-Cell is annoyingly live-streaming the whole thing, as she does. Juggernaut then bursts through the wall of the place, which reveals... Well, not at all what they were expecting. Uh, you see, this facility simply houses a teleportation gate. Yeah, another one of those. We need uh, teleportation gates in all the books now, apparently. Um, now, this gate takes would take anyone who passes through it to the actual Dungeon Supermax prison. Uh, by the way... They really, really seem to want us to know that this is a for-profit prison. Because, I mean, how dare they? Hmm. Juggernaut walks through the portal, instructing D-Cell to stay behind, and uh, we'll see very soon if that works. 
Now on the other end, Juggernaut fights his way through some rent-a-guards until he's faced off with The Warden, which is apparently both his name and job description. Now he reveals that all of the elite guards of the Supermax have the DNA of both the the villain Swarm, hence, you know, all the bees on the cover, and the Toad, you know, the uh, little lackey from Magneto, Brotherhood guy, long tongue, sometimes he's a janitor. Anyway, Juggernaut laughs and laughs and laughs. That is, until he gets stung a whole bunch by bees. Now, you see, these bees have a paralytic agent, courtesy of Toad's DNA, which will slow Kane down for a minute or two. The Warden then admires Kane's new armor and suggests that, uh, hey, you know, it might just be something they could mass-produce. Now, before you can get too close to investigate, however, he and the elite guards are hit with a wave of deceleration. Now, while the baddies are down, because deceleration put them down, Kane grabs Decel and they burst through the roof of the joint, only to find that the Dungeon Max is a floating for-profit prison hung high above the desert. Juggernaut surveys the situation. He knows that he could survive jumping and landing, but Decel, not so much. Even with her powers, she would probably wind up kind of like a pancake. Now, Kane, well, he realizes that they're probably going to have to go up back inside and take their lumps. Or maybe D-Cell can finally admit to being a mutant and thus be granted asylum to Krakoa. This takes us back to flashback land. We go back one day where Kane and D-Cell are having a bite to eat outside the Blue Swallow Motel in Tucumcari. And they're talking about the upcoming Supermax break-in. Kane says if he's successful in all this and he winds up breaking out a whole load of superhuman criminals... He's going to be back, uh, you know, on the other side of the law. He's going to be a wanted man. And so he tells her that she doesn't have to come with him. In fact, he pretty much tries to talk her out of coming with him, but she thinks that this whole thing will be fun and probably thinks uh, it'll get a lot of the clicks when she posts it on her Rocks Tube page or You Rocks or whatever the hell this <laughs> fake YouTube is called. Uh, Kane then informs her about his chat with Charles. He tells her that Krakoa will have her whenever she's ready. This leads to more D-cell denial of being a mutant, to which Kane says, Come on. Like, that's actually what he says. Come on. Turns out that this was all the persuasion D-cell needed, because it's time for the quick and dirty on her origin story. And it's basically exactly what we theorized it to be last issue. Her powers manifested and killed her parents, And so she wanted to blame her power set on some sort of science experiment gone wrong rather than it being like an inborn deal. You know, sort of kind of assuaging her of any guilt. And we talked about this, and uh, while it, I mean, it's definitely telegraphed, I think it's been pretty well done. Anyway, we jump back to the present. Kane is trying to convince D-Cell to come clean, as, you know, if she doesn't, these baddies are probably going to dissect her. Or at the very least, run some very, very unpleasant experiments on her. And so, she finally comes clean. You see, her name is Miranda Manuel, and she's a mutant. She requests asylum on Krakoa, and... Well, that's all she wrote. That's it. They gotta let her go. There's that whole treaty, right? So we jump ahead two days later, where Kane and Miranda are awaiting Xavier and company's arrival in the desert. 
Now Xavier comes through the portal, flanked by Black Tom and uh, some dude, uh, maybe Manifold from the uh, Sword Book. I don't know. He might just be a random mutant dude. I don't know. Now Xavier welcomes D Cell, and she asks if she can live stream on Krakoa, you know, to her Rocks Tube or U Rocks page or whatever it was. Xavier kind of just like gives her the eye, which is all the answer she needs. Miranda and Kane hug and they part company. She tells him to stay out of trouble, and it, but she's certain that he won't. Juggernaut and Black Tom briefly chat here, and Kane expresses that uh, you know he wishes he could be going with them to Krakoa, to which Tom gives a stern mutants only. And I mean, if we forget about Northstar's husband, baby Shogo, and sometimes Betsy's beautiful blonde British brother Brian, I guess he's not wrong, right? He's not lying. I'm... Not so sure why they're so adamant about that rule when it pertains to uh, poor old Kane Marco, though. Anyway, uh, Juggernaut asks Tom to keep an eye on D-Cell because he's guessing she's going to try to bounce just as quick as she can. From here, we wrap up the issue and the miniseries with an epilogue of sorts. And it almost feels like a pitch for a subsequent miniseries or perhaps an ongoing. It, it, actually, it, it feels exactly like a pitch for a follow-up. Um, maybe even a new take on the Thunderbolts? Or are they still a thing? Hmm? Here, we see Kane hanging out in North Dakota with Arnim Zola and Primus. And they do some hoodoo to reconstitute Quicksand. And it's like old home week here on the uh, Juggernaut show here. It's all the characters we ran afoul of over the course of these past five issues. So once Quicksand is back in form, Kane lays out his plan. They team up, and they attempt to stop their kind, superhumans, from being abused, and therefore abusing each other. And that's that. That's where we end it. We end it with a new beginning. So that's either the title of the issue or just the, the blurb for the next issue that is never, ever going to come. Well, there won't be a next issue, but there will be a next episode, and it is the big 150th, and in it we'll be covering the Marauders, and uh, it looks like it's going to be a good one. Really looking forward to chatting that one up, but how about we chat about this? So that was the Juggernaut miniseries. What we all think of that? Uh, well, first let's talk about this issue. Uh, this issue was, uh, it was fine. It was well enough, right? It kind of feels like, and this is purely speculation and me talking out of my ass here, I, I kind of feel like the creators assumed that this would be a six-part miniseries because this one was packed full of hurry-up, wasn't it? I mean, I feel like this Warden character was supposed to amount to a little bit more than a very slight thorn in the side here. I mean, this entire series to this point has been an episodic build to this reveal of a big bad, right? Everybody we've we've run afoul of here has been like, no, no, it's not me, it's the next guy. You know, and we keep progressing up the ladder here until we finally meet the Warden. And I mean, we have him debut, and he kind of just stands aside in the same issue. It feels a little bit underwhelming, a little unsatisfying, and um, I, it kind of takes the air out of the... Uh, the wind out of the sails, I guess, is probably the better way to put it there. Uh, over what, what sort of a villain this is, uh, this warden might turn out to be. It just he just seems like an an annoyance, <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Uh, now we do get D Cell finally admitting to being a mutant, though I, I mean we already knew that from the get go, uh, and I mean we already theorized the reasons as to why she wouldn't want to be a mutant as well, and we were a hundred percent on the money there. 
Uh, now, none of that makes this a bad issue, or even a disappointing one. It's just that it all kind of fell into place exactly where I figure many of us assumed it would right out of the gate, you know? Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Juggernaut's new team. I understand adding an epilogue like this in the hopes that this might get picked up again later, but um, anybody think it will? I mean, if we if we weren't completionists, or if I wasn't a completionist, uh, would we be enticed at the thought of reading a team book starring Quicksand and Primus? I suppose they, they might show up as villains in a Marvel book somewhere down the line, as, uh, you know, doing whatever it is that they do. And I guess I'll have to rely on you all to let me know if that's the case, uh, those of you who read the wider Marvel Universe. So if they show up in Avengers or Defenders, is there a Defenders book? I don't know. Uh, whatever books are out there. And New Warriors, is there one of those? No. No, I don't think, I think they, they canned that one. Uh, my main takeaway here from uh, this issue and this series, uh, and being in the X-Men headspace, uh, might just be informing this, why exactly can't Kane go to Krakoa? I mean, we've seen a few times already that non-humans can live there. And now we can certainly suggest that Xavier just doesn't want them there. And that would be understandable from their history. But it doesn't read like that, does it? Instead, it kind of reads as though Nisiesa doesn't realize that there are non-mutants living on Krakoa. And I mean, this is more of me talking out of my ass here. I can't say anything for certain. But it doesn't feel like Xavier's being, like, dishonest or nefarious or holding a grudge here. It just seems as though maybe Fabian got the quick and dirty on Krakoa and just ran with it. I mean, I'm probably wrong. And I mean, it's an easy enough thing to fix. But at least in this respect, it makes for a somewhat question, questionable read, right? I mean, because not only can, can Kane not live on Krakoa, I mean, he's basically told that he can't step foot on it. You know, he can't even visit. He can't just show up. I mean, we saw we saw Deadpool show up, and, and Jeff the Landshark, they, they showed up and hung out for a minute. I don't see the trouble of Kane visiting, but uh, this kind of feels like maybe our creative team didn't get all the memos about Krakoa here, and uh, and rather than coming coming up with a different reason as to why Kane can't go back there, just going with the, you know, no non-mutants allowed... And again, Xavier might just be like, hey, we don't want this guy here. I mean, he does wear a helmet that stops, you know, telepathy. So that might cause a problem for some of the movers and shakers of Krakoa. So that is a possibility as well. I just wish that they maybe, I don't know, maybe, I mean, they telegraphed so much in this series. Why didn't they telegraph that? <laughs> you know, that's left up to our imagination and headcanon, I suppose. But, uh... Really not much more to say. Overall, I did enjoy this. I enjoyed this issue. I enjoyed this miniseries. I really, really dug the art. Um, I would recommend this to any X fans here. I think you can get something fun out of this. Uh, there were a few eh bits, you know. I mean, that's just gonna... That comes with the territory. But for the most part, I had a really good time with it. And I'm really, really glad that uh, you all convinced me to continue the coverage of this miniseries. Because uh, I, uh, I think we're all better for it. And it does give us... A nice little breather between the more heady uh, hocks, pox, docks, rocks, socks situation. So, really like this. I hope you did as well. If uh, you did or didn't, please feel free to let me know, and we'll talk about uh, contact information at uh, the end of the show here. But speaking of contact, let's hop into the mailbag here. 
We're going to start with Damien talking about New Mutants number 14, which is the first Reign of X New Mutants book here. And Damien says, You're totally right to describe this issue not as a new direction, but as a first direction. New Mutants has been a bit all over the place, so it's nice to see a reason for it to exist. My favorite thing about this storyline is the central positioning of Danny. She was the main character of the Claremont run of New Mutants and is therefore my favorite character in the book. And you're right, I'm, I'm very happy to see Danny having a more prominent role in the book here where uh, up to this point I'm trying to think of anything she's actually done. Um, they did like the they did the poltergeist thing in, in Russia with uh, Cosmar. I think I think Cosmar is the is the new New Mutants name. Other than that, I, I want to say that we saw like a panel of her in the initial Hickman arc that just said that she fights bears. Because, I mean, that's like the cheapest of cheap pops when it comes to Danny Moonstar. She fights bears. So it is nice to see her uh, front and center again. And it is really, really cool to see this book finally get a direction. It's, like you said, it's been just very, very PC. Uh, to the point where, I mean... If you've been following this show or following these books, you'll know that, I mean, the first arc was interrupted by a second arc, and then we went back to the first arc, and it's just, it was just kind of, uh, kind of, uh, kind of PC. <laughs> um, Damien continues, I like the idea of the Shadow King trying to get a foothold on Krakoa. I presume he's powerful, en- powerful enough to hide from Xavier, and it would make sense for Karma and or Farouk to be his way in. And, uh, yeah, so I'm guessing... The uh, the little shot of Farouk we saw during Empire had to just just been a mistake, right? <laughs> that's gotta that's gotta have just been uh, oh, just fill this page with mutants and uh, here is a list of mutants. Just throw them in. Uh, I do like the idea of Shadow King being here as well. He was never. Um, it's funny. He was never one of my favorites growing up. He's on that list of uh, villains who, when I see them show up in a book, it's just kind of like, ah, eh, well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really looking forward to the like comparing it to someone like uh, Batman, like Rajal Ghul. People love Rajal Ghul. I think he sucks. I think he is very, very boring. So when like a Rajal Ghul storyline starts up, it's just like okay, we grin and bear it, or we just collect these issues and don't read them. We get we we come back when when we get something more interesting. For me, the Shadow King is similar to that. Where I remember like the Psy War we had back in the day. He's kind of dull to me, but the fact that we might actually have an actual honest-to-goodness X-Men villain, (laughs) I I think that's more of an indictment on the Hox Pox Docs era, where I see the Shadow King and I see him acting, you know, nefariously and threateningly. It's like, ooh, ooh, this feels like X-Men for a minute. So uh, I'm definitely in. Uh, Damien continues, I noticed you were struggling with Karma's family. She had a brother who was the villain of her first appearance, but I think he's dead. The twins are her younger brother and sister, who she left the New Mutants to search for, so they are separate. I don't remember much about her brother. Maybe the Shadow King will return via him. He was a mutant, so he may be resurrected. And, uh, yeah, I don't... I couldn't say uh, with any certainty if, if this has anything to do with her brother. I just assumed, because I remember that was like her... That was kind of like the albatross around her neck, right? It was always she had these like these twin siblings, or I, I always knew there was some sort of a family dynamic there. And I actually have their first appearance that uh, I think it was the last issue of Marvel Team Up, or was it the last issue? It might have been the last issue of Marvel Team Up before it uh, turned into Web of Spider Man. 
But uh, I, it's been ages since I've looked at it, and it's unfortunately not in the house that I'm currently living in. So I cannot double-check that. So if anybody has any more insight on that, please feel free to let us know. Uh, Damien continues. Talking of resurrection, the whole discussion around the resurre- resurrection of clones was a great way of introducing Scout to the team. As I recall, valuing fairness was a huge part of her character in Wolverine. I love seeing sympathetic characters who are questioning Krakoa. I wonder if we'll see Mystique gather some of them together to burn it to the ground. And I really think that's where we're headed here. Um, Maybe not so much with Mystique, but I think there will be a... I think there's going to be a group of doubters. And I think Mystique could definitely infiltrate and exploit the doubt, for sure. But I do think we're going to see more uh, of our sympathetic characters here thinking that maybe things aren't on the up and up, or maybe starting to... Because, I mean, we talk about the, what was it, the X, X cubed, right? Where it was like all about the world mind and the phalanx and uh, just assimilating into a world mind here. If we have characters who are clones who really don't have any real stakes in Krakoa, because if they die, they're not coming back, or it's questionable whether or not they'll come back, they'll probably be less likely to assimilate, if they can control it. That is so. I think uh, I think that could be a really good inroad to shining a light on some of the doubt here. Having a character like uh, like Scout, uh, I don't know what X twenty three. I mean, X twenty three is sometimes a clone, sometimes not. Sometimes she's a genetic duplicate. Sometimes she's a daughter. It's it's weird the way they they really present her here. But it could be interesting. Could be very interesting here. Um, and it's funny, I was thinking, we found out that, you know, Mr. Sinister has the uh, the black market clone farm, right? What if he has a Madeline in there? I wouldn't, it wouldn't uh, surprise me if he had a Madeline Pryor in there. What if he decided to just, uh, I don't know, hatch her and let her strut around Krakoa? I mean, that could be, uh, that could open up some interesting things here. So I do really, really like this. I love the fact that none of the other New Mutants wanted to answer the questions. And, like, Magic was just like, uh, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, everything will be okay. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I thought that was really well done. Very, very subtle, but also very, very telling. Really, really good stuff here. Now, Damien wraps up with, Anyway, until Jonathan the Wolverine and Jeff the Landshark get a spin-off miniseries, Make Mine x lapsed. And I'm assuming Jonathan the Wolverine is Scout's pet, who I think when we covered uh, the, the Scout appearance in Phoenix Resurrects Labs, I think I called it like a bear because it was really, really not drawn so well. I'm like, she's got like a pet bear or something. But uh, I, think that's, I think that's Jason the Wolverine. But uh, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on the first Rocks issue of New Mutants. Uh, next, Evan talking about a very dicey issue here. Uh, Marauders number 16. Now, we've talked a little bit about this in the feedback already, and uh, now it's Evan's turn to share his thoughts. He says, Oh boy, did I not enjoy this issue. I did agree with most of your points of, discuss- of discussion, though. I think and hope the creative team has more in store than a one-off revenge porn story. I get that Shaw earned his comeuppance, but what Kitty and Emma did and Storm signed off on went way beyond. This wasn't heroes defying the odds and righting a wrong. I mean, this was a wild issue, wasn't it? I mean, it's, it totally hit me by, uh, by surprise that we were actually going down this route. And uh, 
It was very, very brutal. Um, I, I, you know, I think I talked about this when we covered the issue here. It's like, how do we, how do we walk this one back? Uh, can we? I mean, Emma's twisted and has been twisted for a long time, but uh, having Kitty do this and Storm uh, be there to watch it all go down, that's going to be a tough one to sweep under the rug. That's going to be, uh, that might have been, you know, unknowingly a very seminal issue of this run where it's going to be something we're going to be pointed back at at some point to be like, see, this is where you should have known that uh, things aren't exactly what they seem. It's. Very, very weird. Evan continues. The only time Shaw has seemed legitimately threatening to me is when he took down the cartel so effortlessly in New Mutants. Beyond that, I constantly wonder why so many movers and shakers on Krakoa find him to be a necessary evil. I know he had influence, but he strikes me these days as a has-been. Even when he killed Call Me Kate, it felt like a broken clock being right twice a day, like the chaos of everything else going on fell into place rather than Shaw being a master manipulator. And I agree. I agree, because that, that was like so much happenstance was involved in that here. It really did seem like he lucked into the whole situation there with uh, with Pierce, uh, the executioner, and uh, what, the hate manga? Was, the hate, was it the hate manga? I don't remember. But it was someone with the executioner. It didn't feel... It felt like more luck than skill here. And, I mean, I have been... You know, I, I went on an, a hiatus from these books for a little while, so I don't know if Shaw has been, like, reaffirmed as some major evil and major threat, but uh, but when I left, he was kind of, like you put, he was a has-been. I want to say the last time I saw him, he was like an amnesiac hanging out with the young X-Men. Anybody else remember that horrible series? Eh? But uh, I never really see him as much of anything now, so it is kind of strange that... Uh, that the Quiet Council does view him as uh, as such a uh, necessary force here. It's very, very strange. Uh, Evan wraps up with, If they show the fallout from this, as you suggested with Cypher's reaction, that could make for an interesting story. And yeah, I, I totally agree here. I hope that that is the way they're headed with this. Um, and I'm fairly confident that they will be, because uh, the, the shot we did get of Doug... I don't think that was by accident. He definitely looked very disappointed in Kitty, and uh, I think that this could be revisited down the line here, and it might uh, even like stoke some. Uh, it might stoke a schism in the Quiet Council here if they can't trust one another. And more to that point, uh, I still wonder why Xavier and Magneto didn't didn't press the issue. It's like, hey, we're down to ten members here. One of them is now in a totally different state than we knew. What happened? I just don't see them dropping it the way they did, or at least as easily as they did, which was really, really easy. <laughs> but uh, I want to thank you so much, Evan, for sharing your thoughts on that very, very challenging issue here. I'd love to hear more thoughts on that issue because it was a weird one. It was definitely a weird one and definitely a divisive one. So thank you for that. And uh, we are going to wrap up with a letter from Jesse talking about Generation X Volume 2, Number 1, which is part of our Sunday special series where we're taking a look at Generation X Volume 2. And it gives me the opportunity to uh, talk a little bit about the Sunday special series, which I don't know if folks who listen to the main show know or care about. Uh, Every Sunday, we take a look at a, a shorter subject, from my hiatus from the X books here, so not the main books, not the Hox, Pox, Docs, Rock, Sox stuff, 
But going back a little bit here, uh, the Generation X special is the fourth such special. We started off with uh, a look at the Major X miniseries and Major X Lapsed. From there, we went to Phoenix Resurrects Lapsed, which took a look at the uh, Phoenix Resurrection Return of Jean Grey miniseries. From there, we did X Lapsed Nation, which was a look at the Extermination miniseries that finally sent the time-displaced original five back to the past. So now, the fourth one is Generation X Lapse. It'll be that way for the next, uh, I think, ten weeks or so. I'm not loving it. (laughs) I'm hopeful that I'll come around to it, though, here. But now, let's hear Jesse's thoughts on the first issue and first episode. He says, Good morning, Chris. I hope the move went well. Ah, we're still in the middle of the move. I don't know that the move will ever end at this point. Uh, We've been moving for over two months now. But (laughs) hopefully, hopefully at some point it'll be over. But but thank you. Um, Jesse continues. You must have known the excitement I would exhibit when I saw there was a Generation X lapsed. But the drop in my gut when I noticed that it was Volume 2. Either way, I'm going to go back and revisit to see if my opinion has changed now that the story's complete, or if it still disappoints me. As I went through issue one, I tried to look past the art style that I had a, that I had very little interest in in the past and focus more on the story. I was able to follow the story better this time and didn't hate it quite as much. The art was actually not as bad either, even though I still don't like it. Textures of things seems, seemed off, like the grass looked more like fur. That's very, very true. There's some very off anatomy and some faces that are extremely ugly in the same panel with faces that are well-drawn. I totally agree with the with you on the art here. The art is very, um, what is the word I'm looking for here? Uneven. Uneven here. Because you're right. There are some faces that look great next to faces that look like, uh, like something that you'd scribble on your, your trapper keeper. It is very, very uneven art it's not definitely not my kind of art here um i don't know what they're trying to evoke but it really just doesn't it it doesn't rock my socks any Uh, as for the story you know i thought it was followable enough it just uh just isn't very good (laughs) it's kind of boring and uh i really think that they are appealing to a a fandom that doesn't exist a readership who is just not interested um, Jesse continues The covers are beautiful for the whole series I'm glad they got the Dodsons back to do those And yeah, the uh, the covers are very, very nice here Which only makes it uh, all the more jarring When you open it up and it's not Dodson art on the inside uh, Jesse continues Seeing all the different students in the background From the previous ten years was a fun surprise You see glimpses of Ernst, Rockslide, No Girl, Grey Malk, and Pixie, and more I'm glad to see Jubilee and Chamber in the book, even if they are the only two originals to show up at this point. If I remember correctly, Chamber is the only remaining male character from the original Generation X runs team that is still alive at this point. Artie, Leech, and Franklin were just wards and not part of the team. And you see, I'm kind of of two minds uh, when it comes to, you know, seeing these characters in the background like that, because I feel like so many of these characters, even going back to the Morrison run where they were, where many of them were introduced... They've basically just been background characters. I mean, Pixie got her little uh, mini series. That Pixie was it. Pixie Strikes Back, or am I conflating that with Gwenpool? <laughs> I don't remember, but uh, I think uh, an Eminem wrote that, I believe, and it wasn't half bad, if I remember right. But for the other characters here, it's a lot of just background characters, and here they are again 
in the background. Uh, it's cool to see them. It's cool to get the little uh, the little callbacks, but at the same time, it's just like, okay, are we gonna do anything with them? I'm not confident that they will, and uh, I hope I'm wrong, but I'm just not confident that they will. And it was nice seeing Chamber back, even even though I feel like they are kind of playing fast and loose with his relationship with Jubilee a little bit. I think uh, they were attempting to present them as being uh, much better friends than they ever were, because I don't remember them being all that close, and here it seems like... I don't know, maybe it's like that thing where uh, after you graduate high school and then, like, people that you never talked to in high school suddenly like, try to find you on Facebook for some reason. Maybe it's something like that. I don't know. Uh, Jesse continues. Overall, I did like this better reading at this time, but it's still on the level of cruising around with a giant ferret Generation X rather than finding Toad chilling in Emma's house Generation X. And uh, I'm trying to figure out now if this is better or worse than the Puka. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to reread the Puka and, uh, and put them uh, head to head here Again, I'm only two issues in To this Generation X run Hopefully it gets better Hopefully I come around to it uh, Jesse continues Before I go, a little bit of trivia on the Generation X Ashcan edition There are actually two different versions Or cover versions of this out there The first was possibly a giveaway With it just having, an, having the words Ashcan edition on the cover in yellow the other has 75-cent Ashcan edition in purple on the cover and a UPC on the back. I found my first Ashcan in 1995 at a comic shop in a mall, and I thought I hit the jackpot. It may just have character sketches and info on it, but I still love to look back on oddities like this. Okay, now, none of you guys know this, but I just stepped away from the microphone for a few minutes to dig up my Ashcan edition to see which one I had. <laughs> um, it is the yellow one. I've got the yellow, uh, no price on it, just a yellow Ashcan edition on the cover. And uh, it is really, really cool. As a, as a fan of, you know, the X-Men and of comics ephemera, I love stuff like this. This is the sort of stuff that really gets, uh, gets me excited about the hobby. Um, it's the stuff that you don't see all the time. Right, I mean, we can go onto social media at any time, and we can see all the covers of the books that came out today or this week. And Lord knows, about fifteen people are going to post the cover to Batman and the Outsiders number one any given day on on, on the social medias. But uh, stuff like this is very, very interesting. It's stuff you just don't see. People don't really talk about it all that much. It's just really, really cool to uh, to have a little bit of the history there, and uh, especially with Generation X, since it was. The first time I ever heard the term Ashcan used. I'd never, ever heard the term Ashcan until uh, the lead up to Generation X. And it is just always kind of, it always kind of bothered me that I never had it. I do have the, uh, like, the collector's special thing that they, they put out. It was a full-size, you know, comic trim uh, little booklet. But uh, I, it always just felt wrong to me that I didn't own the Ashcan since it was... So much part of the build for the uh, release of that series At least that's the way I remember it I could, uh, you know how we are when we're kids We, we, over, <laughs> we over-romanticize certain things And uh, even at, you know, 40 years old I still over-romanticize a lot of things Just like this ash can Which I'm very, very jazzed to have right now But uh, Jesse wraps up with So until Jubilee and M become BFFs Make my next lapsed well, let's just hope when M makes an appearance in Volume 2 or the Legacy run that uh, they actually uh, you know, pay some heed to the fact that she and Jubilee never really got along because 
I'm not confident that they won't be BFFs <laughs> as we get into that. But uh, thank you so much for uh, both listening to and commenting on the Sunday special episode there, Jesse. It really, really means a lot. I don't really get much feedback on the Sunday show, so it's always really, really cool when I do. So thank you. But uh, that is where we're going to leave it for today. Uh, if anybody would like to uh, chime in, join the mailbag, maybe talk about a Sunday special, please. Feel free to do so. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, or you could shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. And, uh, hey, while you're there, got something new over there. I uh, kind of uh, hinted at this a couple episodes back, maybe maybe just one episode back. But uh, in order to give a little bit of context to some of the current year goings-on in the X-Books, I've decided to do a uh, series of articles, and they are called X-Lapsed Origins, and we are starting with, uh, well, our home away from home, one of our very favorite places. We are going to start with Otherworld. That's right, we are going back to the UK Captain Britain strips from uh, 1981. This is uh, pre-Alan Moore. We're looking at the Dave Thorpe stuff right now, which has Alan Davis on art. Some really, really cool early Alan Davis art here. And uh, we're going to just learn. We're going to learn together here. I, I've It's been so long since I've read any of these things, and uh, I feel like maybe I've done a disservice in not uh, delivering all this information. So I think this is going to be a fun little endeavor here, and I hope folks listening who are interested uh, maybe uh, stop by the blog and check out those articles here. This uh, Captain Britain run, uh, we, it might take several months to get through, which uh, I'm really looking forward to, actually, because this is a, a run that I've been looking for an excuse to revisit. So I, I get to do that now here and present it as a, as a mixed-media sister program to, uh, to, to the main X-Labs show. So we're going to meet Saturnine, we're going to meet Mad Jim Jaspers, we're going to meet the Furies, we're going to... See a little bit of the uh, the formation of the Captain Britain Corps. We're gonna learn about the crooked the crooked London, which I, I think is uh, where we get the crooked market in Exitens from. It's gonna be a good time. So uh, Chris is on InfiniteEarths.com. So far, I think there are three or four articles up. I'm trying to do them several times a week. So far, they've been daily, but I can't promise they'll always be daily. And uh, they're they're short because. Uh, because, I mean, the strips are pretty short, too. They, the longest Captain Britain strip that I've seen so far has been eight pages long. The shortest one has been about four. So they're quick, breezy reads, but uh, we're learning a lot as we work through it here. So Chris is on InfiniteEarths.com for some X-Lapsed origins. Uh, you can also go to xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com for more of the show stuff. Uh, you can chat us up on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. And for all your Chris and Reggie listening needs, you can go to chrisandreggie.podbean.com or any noise aggregation device and application that uh, you might like, because we'll probably be there. But that will do it for today. I want to thank you all so, so much for listening and, uh, I suppose, uh, putting up with that, that those shilling plugs for the website there. <laughs> so thank you all so, so much. It really, really means a lot to me. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.